So hopefully uh, most of you got one of the handouts for taking notes. Um, Eric puts these together on Sunday morning. He texted me early this morning, asked me what the title of the message was. <clears throat> and um, problem is, I'm not a very creative person. I'm, I'm extremely uncreative, okay? So I have a real difficulty coming up with titles of messages. I'm not like David, and you can come up with uh, alliterations or whatever, three points, and they all start with the same letter and this and that. But so, um, so here's the title of the message, Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. That's about as create, creative as I'm going to get. Um, <laughs> maybe next week um, I'll, come up, I'll come up with a, with a title, okay? Um, well, a theme that you may have picked up on so far that we have been, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews together, is that the author has been making the case for us that Jesus Christ is supreme. And for that reason, we must hold fast to him as our highest treasure. And, and last week, uh, um, David was, was pointing out the fact that because Jesus Christ is supreme, we need to pay attention to what, to what, he say, what, what he's saying, what he's saying to us. Are we listening to what he's saying to us? Um, we've learned in chapter 1 that he is superior even to the angels because he is God the Son, not a created being. But the next reason Hebrews gives that we're going to see today for his superiority to angels may surprise us. Christ is superior to angels not just because of his deity, but also because of his humanity. And he might step back and say, well, how can that be? Well, again, this is, this is one of God's special ways of how he works things out. Um, and we'll see that. You know, we, we know in Philippians 2 that Jesus had to become a man, and because he did, he humbled himself, became a man, um, and uh, humbled himself in obedience, died on the cross. God highly exalted him, um, to have the name above every name. Um, and as we will see here in this passage, um, the author wants to take us all the way back to creation itself um, as he's going to quote from Psalm 8 and tie human dignity and human destiny back to creation. Now we as human beings are created in God's image and as such we have divine purpose and destiny. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that though because we live in a, in a world marred by sin. We live in a world that broken people, we're broken people. You know, um, there's broken people around us. Um, and as we know, who have experienced salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, no one but Jesus Christ can recover that for us. Um, he did something that no one else could do as the God-man. He recovered our created purpose, and he has been exalted for it. Um, and what's interesting is he brings us into that exaltation as well when we are joined together with him in salvation. Well, um, this was a really hard passage, actually, to um, create a message for. I, I don't know, like, sometimes like we're, we're looking ahead, like who's going to give the message for this or that, and I probably wasn't looking really very hard, and somehow I, when I got these verses, I was just like, yeah, I'll do those verses. And, uh, but these are, these are really hard verses, you know, to, uh, to understand. Um, and... As I was going through them, I was thinking, you know what, I'm just going to take 5 through 18 and, and go through them in one week. 
Um, and then I'm finished. You know, but as it turns out, as I started digging in more and more, I was like, that's not going to work. There's, you can't, there's either too much here to where the message would be way too long, or there's not enough here to where um, it's going to end up being like two not as long messages. Um, and I figured that I would err on the side of two not so long messages versus one too long message. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, we're just going to go through verses five through nine today. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the reason I wanted to continue originally is because what happens is after verse nine, when it talks about, it starts to bring in the fact that um, Jesus' redemptive plan, it kind of carries that theme on through the rest of the rest of the chapter. Um, but we're just going to have to cut that short at chapter nine today and continue on next week. Um, so I'm going to read these verses again, five through nine. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It's kind of funny, but like the, 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 the line here about, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. I just kept coming back to thinking about like how my dog never listens to me. And I was thinking like, why can't that dog be subject to me? I mean, you're, it's late at night, you put her out one more last time to go to the bathroom, and then she runs off and just goes into the corner of the yard, and you have to like go out there and get your shoes on to get her in, because she's just like, she knows that that's the last time, and she's going into her bed after that, and so she's just like, I'm not coming in. I'm going to make them come after me. Um, so it's true, not all things are yet um, in, in subjection to us. Um, but as we look at this passage today, there will be three observations that I want to develop. Um, the first is that as human beings, God bestowed on us a status of dignity, a special connection to the Creator with God at the center of human worth. The second observation will be that as a result of the fall, our purpose, our destiny is yet unfulfilled. And the third observation will begin to reveal the redemption through Jesus but just, like I said, a little bit. Next week, we'll primarily focus on that because the author develops it starting in verse 9 and, and through the end of the chapter. So my hope is that as we work through this passage, we'll not only um, find our hearts exalting the Lord Jesus, but also we'll find ourselves rejoicing in what Christ has done for us as those who are made in the image of God and restored to the purpose that God has given us as human beings. So number one, God bestowed on us a status of dignity. Now, the author of Hebrews is obviously well-versed in scriptures. We've talked about that before. When he quotes from the Old Testament passage, passages, he knows exactly where the passage is and the purpose for why he's quoting it. And um, as I said a minute ago, the author is taking us back to creation when he quotes from Psalm 8, which is one of the Psalms of David. 
And for context, um, we're gonna, I'm going to read a little bit more of Psalm 8, a little bit more before and, and after uh, of what he quoted. Um, so I'll start with verse 3 of Psalm 8. It started like this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, then it be- picks up here. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now I wanted to point that out because you, you, if you think about David, you know, um, you, you just got to really think about how many nights he would have gazed on a star-filled sky as a young shepherd or when he was running from King Saul out in the wilderness um, or as a warrior on the eve of a battle. Um, when we had our little elders retreat down at um, this place in Ottawa, Kansas, um, it just, it's just amazing. Like when you go outside and you're outside the city and you look up and you see the stars, it's, you, you get, a, you get a, a whole new sense of perspective of, of the universe and your place in the universe. And um, I feel like that's what David is saying here. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, um, and he would have done that, you know, being out in the wilderness oftentimes as a shepherd and, and on the run. Um, and that night sky was making him realize how small and weak he was um, and how little, you know, we, we know. It makes us how, how brief and earthly our journey is. Um, so even to imagine that the God who created it all, as he says, takes notice of us, seems presumptuous at best. But David knew that God knew who we are, knew who he was. So to know that he does take notice of us, which we know that for a fact as well, um, is is actually overwhelming. And um, and I think sometimes, you know, uh, uh, I think sometimes we can lose perspective because we don't take the time to maybe um, sit on the back porch and um, gaze at the stars, or go take a walk and gaze at the stars, and and um, ponder our smallness in the in the light in the, in, in the light of the vast universe. Um, but then delighting in the reality that in that vastness, God knows everything about us. I think that can could could do us good to um, to give us perspective because sometimes you know our perspective gets um, just. We get blinders on from just like um, what's going on in our lives, you know, and <clears throat> and so we lose lose sight of the fact of where we are in the world, and that God is things are this big, and here's us, but God cares deeply about all these things that are going on in our lives. So, what gives David the confidence to say that such a God, with that level of creativity and power, has crowned man with glory and honor. We have to read more of the psalm to see that David is actually taking it back to the creation story. Starting in verse 6, he says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts. Actually, I'm going beyond um, what, it, what it says here, what, what, what he quoted here. So I'm going beyond in, in the Psalm 8. You have, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. Um, 
you have put all things under his feet. But then that psalm goes on to say, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Okay, so where, where is David getting this language from? Um, that idea, this idea that God uh, gave man dominion. Well, you know, most of you recognize that it comes from Genesis 1, okay? Um, Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It was the blessing of God, the connection with God that would give man, men and women together, um, the ability to fulfill what we commonly call here the creation mandate. It's such an important passage. It teaches us that those made in God's image, both male and female, we have been given dominion over the earth. And obviously Adam and Eve were only two people. They could not possibly manage the whole earth. But God planted them in a, in a garden paradise, an enclosed garden for them to work. And it was like, it was like the creation and microcosm for them to actually develop cultivation skills that one day would, should spread throughout the planet through their offspring. Um, this passage underscores the high value and dignity of every human being. Um, it marks the beginning of marriage in the family. It sets the importance of men and women working together to fulfill God's purposes. It gives responsibility for human beings to care well for the earth and its resources, to develop its potential, to harness its resources for good. Now, as it says here, um, God did not give this authority and responsibility to angels. He gave it to human beings. Even though angels in many ways have more power and freedom than do humans, angels are spirit beings. They can work in both the physical and spiritual worlds. They stand in the very presence of God. They serve the purposes of God on earth. Their power extends far beyond natural human power, and they are not subject to death. So in in these ways... Um, man is a little lower than the angels, but when applied to Jesus only for a little while. Though he is God the Son, he descended from his divine throne to take up a status below the angels as a human being subject even to death, which the angels are not subject to. It's profitable every day for you and me to keep our created status in mind. Um, you know, we, we're all made in God's image, and, and we have dignity, we have worth, and we have purpose. Uh, whatever gifts and abilities and opportunities you possess, um, God gave you to develop and to use for His glory and for the good of others. So you need to take your corner of creation seriously. Um, the place where God placed you and cultivate it. Make it fruitful manage it. Like Adam and Eve, you can't touch the whole earth, but you can touch the corner of earth that God has given to each one of you, and you can make much of it. 
It belongs to God, but he has given to you as a human being for a time the responsibility of managing it well. Now, some of you at this stage <clears throat> where you are, uh, or some of you might be at a stage, especially the younger ones here, um, where you're trying to figure out your path of life. And, um, you know, I kind of said, like, maybe the younger ones here, but um, I probably should say it really doesn't matter the age, you know, because Ephesians 2.10 says he created us to do good works. doesn't matter if we're young, old, in between. It's never too late to be seeking God about what good works he wants you to be involved in for his glory. As you're praying about these things, what you need to do is start with God and discern and ask him, you know, what he wove into your being. What are your interests, skills? What are the abilities that he has woven into you, you know, that you can develop for his glory? What are the things that like you, you, you know that like, wow, I feel like God has given me these special abilities and these gifts that like um, I have, maybe some others don't. And how does God want to use those for his glory, for the good of others? So let his, so start with his creative work in you when you're figuring that out. Start with his creative work in you um, to lead you to, to where you do work for him for how you will flesh out your work for him. Um, you know, I, I, think of, I think of some, some jobs, um, um, there are just some flat-out jobs, probably every job, you know, you know when I use the word calling, I, I just mean that, like, there needs to be something special that someone is called to do this. But, like, we, um, Lisa and I had uh, lunch with um, two of our grandkids at their elementary school a couple weeks ago, and, and we had to sit there in the hallway, kind of wait about 10 minutes before the lunch, and just observing teachers going by and with the kids and their classes. And literally, I just thought, you know, I mean, I feel like my job is stressful and hard, but I thought, I don't, I mean, being a school teacher, an elementary school teacher, I just, I can't even, it's, mm, like, that is a calling. That is something, has God put that in you to have that desire to use that for His glory? Because that's what that is. Because, like, we had lunch with them, and the teachers might have a 15-minute break, you know, at lunchtime while the lunch helpers are taking care of the kids. But other than that, it's, you got to be on full-time all the time. And even though my job feels like that, I, I can space out for 15 minutes or more if I want to, just here and there. You know, I can find a place to go hide, you know, but you can't if you're a teacher. You can't if you're a nurse, a doctor in the healthcare field. You can't, there's just so many, so many things that you, you um, that's why I'm saying just let God's creative work in you lead you to do your work for him. Because, um, you know, we don't want to just do something just because like, well, I got to do, do something, you know. Uh, uh, you know, you, you will be more fulfilled. It even talks about that, I think, in Ecclesiastes, um, to enjoy your work. Um, and you'll do that if you can find out um, how God has wired you. Um, <clears throat> so... 
talk like this might um, inspire us, right? But, but you might be thinking it sounds a little bit idealistic because even though we know as God's creation, he has bestowed dignity on us and purpose in us, we sense our unfulfilled destiny. We live in a broken world. Um, so let's talk about this second observation, our unfulfilled destiny. What I mean by that is like, you know, I, you know, it sounds great and, you know, you get pumped up like, ah, yay, school teachers, yay, nurses and doctors and people and these people. But what really happens is those things are hard. And um, because uh, we live in a broken world, um, a fallen world, and, um, and, and sometimes our destiny is not completely fulfilled. Um, and that curse of sin in the world indeed impacts things. And we see this in verse 8. It says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That is mankind. Um, we see the reality of this every day. So often the creation we're supposed to subdue towers over us and, and, and gets out of control. Uh, we are vulnerable to disease, um, to viruses, to natural disasters, to death. Um, so harnessing the earth and managing it well is, is a battle that wears us out. Um, instead of fruitfulness, uh, we run into thorns and thistles. Um, every accomplishment demands sweat and fatigue. We are plagued with discouragement, with disillusionment, by doubt. We see gifts abused and misdirected. We see identities twisted, responsibilities ruined, work ignored and perverted. And the harm of our failure seems like it taints everything. Daily we're reminded of the paradise that was lost. And, um, but we are created in God's image. And sadly, uh, what sin in the world does is it distorts the dignity and purpose that God intended. We were created to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, but our bent, frankly, is just, just, just to fight Him or ignore Him, to try to usurp His place um, of supremeness in our lives. And in so doing, we lose the very source of our dignity. We end up harming ourselves when we fight against God. And we think we are finding freedom, right? That's the lie. That's the lie that the devil tells us. We think we're finding freedom, but we're finding slavery to sin instead. And our very reason for existence comes from our created purpose. But the world is trying to squeeze us <clears throat> into its mold. And um, I just want to think about Romans 12 with you for a minute. You know, that you, a lot of you are familiar with that verse. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. And, um, you know, you've probably heard people say before that that word, do not be conformed to the world, um, has this idea of don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Um, but, but that's exactly what is happening going on in our, in our sin-fallen world. So how are you doing in fulfilling your purposes of being a husband for God's glory, a father for God's glory, a worker for God's glory, a friend for God's glory, a disciple for God's glory? This sinful world is not set up to enhance our ability to fulfill God's purposes in these things and I feel that tug every day. 
in the opposite direction of, of pushing me. This world is not pushing me forward to be like, you need to be the best dad for God's glory. You need to be the best husband for God's glory. You need to be the best worker for God's glory. This, that's not The corporation I work for does not care about these purposes. Okay? They're going in a different direction than these purposes. Okay? The world is about do, do, do. Achieve, achieve, achieve. And I mean, I won't say that people don't care, but what you typically see is people care to the extent that your value depends on what you can do for them to accomplish what they need you to accomplish. Not so much that they actually care about you and your values and the purposes that you're trying to fulfill for the glory of God. <clears throat> okay, so, so it sounded positive for a little bit. Now we're in a downer moment. Um, but what I, what I want to convey is that we tend to bounce back and forth between idealism and pessimism, kind of between rainy days and sunny days. Um, maybe you don't, and during the A&I time you can give us your secret, but, but that's kind of my tendency. And, um, you know, you hear the truth about God's purposes, uh, or I, I do, I could, I could be pumped up about that, and then I let my mind run wild on idealism and unrealistic expectations. Then when Monday comes, by the end of the day, pessimism. You know? Um, well, why is that? Why, why, why does this, why, you know, why am I in, in this pattern all the time? So, well, um, I think it's because, personally, I miss these two words in um, verse 8. Uh, or, and I don't want us to miss them. Um, not yet. We need to understand and come to grips with the truth that things are not right yet. Okay? For in subjecting all things to Him, He left nothing that is not subject to Him, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to Him. So as you tackle each day, as you head into a wonderful Monday tomorrow, remember not yet. Remember not yet. That will keep you from the temporary idealism of thinking that you can achieve complete satisfaction in this life. Because it's not going to happen. Okay? This is so very important in order to keep us from constantly living our lives on the mountaintops or in the valleys. Um, and, and, you know, my wife could tell you I'm one of the worst at this. I, it's like I can't find the level playing field. It's like I'm just like here or here. And, um, and again, I think it's because idealism and unrealistic expectations always seem to get the best of me. And then when those things don't happen, because I plan them out in my mind, you know, going into Monday, man, it's going to be like this. I'm going to have a great time with the Lord tomorrow morning, and then my job's going to be this, and he's going to open doors of opportunity to share gospel with people and, and all this. And then by the end of Monday, it's like, Man, I I got I got I to start working four o'clock on Tuesday. I don't have time to get with the Lord anymore this week. I mean, this crazy. Everything blew up. You know, it's like a you know missiles thrown all day long, and um, and 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 it's over. So um, so what happens is 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 I end I end the day in cynical disillusionment, and. Uh, 
So with all sincerity, speaking from personal experience, remember the not yet. And it will help keep us away from, on the one side, idealism and unrealistic expectations, but it will also keep us away if you tend toward the other side. It will keep us away towards cynical disillusionment that will end up spiraling into an attitude of whatever is wrong in the world to steal away your sense of hope and of purpose and of joy. Jesus Christ is what makes this a not yet rather than just a not. That tells us that someday things will be made right and the question is how, which brings us to the last point. Jesus' work of redemption recovers our lost dignity and purpose and as we look to him, as we trust in him, those things can be restored in our lives. In a sin-cursed world, perfect dominion over the earth seems like an impossible dream. But that's why Jesus came as the God-man, to make what seems impossibly broken whole again, to recover forever what seems irretrievably lost. He fulfilled perfectly what man was created to do, and in so doing, brings us along with him to participate. So our humanity is distorted by sin, but in Christ, our humanity, our dignity, our purpose can be restored by his grace. And this is what he's doing uh, for us who have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And then in Colossians 3.10, it says this, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. What was God's plan? How did he plan to restore? Verse 9 in Hebrews. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So because of God's amazing grace towards us, something that we could never earn of our own merit, Jesus participated in our humiliation. He humbled himself to become human. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not achieve. He deserved to rule and not to die, and yet Jesus suffered for us the death we deserved because of our sin. It states this quite well in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, that is Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus tasted death for everyone so that whoever puts faith in him will not have to taste death that way. And as the infinite God, his death was sufficient for all who trust him to save them. Jesus has recovered the crown, not just for himself, but for all those who trust in him. But the path to the crown was by the way of the cross. And... um, And the rest of the chapter, the writer of Hebrews is going to run with this theme 
of suffering and the importance of it. But we'll explore that next week. Um, so hopefully you don't run away when you hear that that's kind of God's plan, you know, for, for, for the crown, you know, is, is suffering and, um, and, that, and death. And that is how, how Jesus won, won things back for us. And, um, and um, lo and behold, God uses a lot of that same plan in our own lives to refine us to become like him, okay? Um, but until then, let us not lose heart. Jesus has tasted death for us and has drained that cup dry. Death can no longer hold us. Uh, we are alive together with Jesus, and he is renewing us. He is transforming us. He is restoring us to fulfill his purpose for us. And what's awesome is, for us, there, there is, there's physical death, but it's last breath here, first breath in heaven. Close your eyes here, open your eyes in heaven. I mean, it's just, if we, if we just really think about that, even though death here, you know, you, we miss the earthly relationships we have with loved ones, but when you think like that their last breath happened here in one second and the next second later, they're alive in heaven. They're, they close their eyes here, next second their eyes are wide open in heaven. It's just, it's astounding, it's amazing, but that's the truth. Um, the guys are going to get on me for this because I'm going to give you a quote from um, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson football head coach. <laughs> um, a favorite quote of Dabo Sweeney, Clemson's head football coach. Um, he always uses this phrase for his players, trust the process, trust the process. Um, what he means by that is, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be put through 5 a.m. workouts, strength and conditioning programs that are hard, their muscles will be sore, you know, um, learning the playbook, mentally taxing, not getting opportunities to play until they can be trusted to do their jobs in their positions. So sometimes they're sitting and waiting for their time, waiting for their turn. Um, all things for which some players don't choose to embrace. Um, that's why you see players transfer. You know, I'm tired of waiting. I'm not going to be patient anymore. I'm transferring out of here. Or they never develop the potential that they have. <clears throat> you know, you see, you see football players are like, wow, that guy was a five-star something in his junior year, and he's still not playing. You know, I mean, he's not, he hasn't embraced the process yet. Um, or they quit. You know, they just flat-out quit. Um, well, God has made a way for us through Jesus' death on the cross. And now that he has restored our purpose, what he asked of us is to trust the process. It won't always be easy. There will be pain. There will be suffering. The question for us is, will we embrace the process or will we quit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you did provide a way through the Lord Jesus Christ, God, to um, restore dignity, to, um, to mankind, to uh, restore <clears throat> purpose, God, to where 
to where our lives aren't meaningless, God. And I, I just, it, it pains my heart, God, for people that don't believe in you, God, that, I mean, the, the devil wins in, in, in their lives when he has them duped that, like, they have no dignity, they have no purpose, and that leads to all kinds of other crimes and sins in the world of murders and all just heinous things, God, that um, people against people and um, people groups against people groups and that don't understand that our dignity is, it, it comes from, um, our, our worth comes from the fact that you were, we were created by a God, by you, God, and so there's intrinsic dignity um, in that. And um, and that you've created us with a purpose. We're not aimless wanderers that are just here for a time and going to um, become dirt again. And God, I just pray, God, that you will, um, uh, just that we would rejoice in that today. We'd rejoice in that. Thank you, Lord, for, for having a plan. Thank you, God, for having a plan that your Son, Jesus Christ, would come and and, and restore things. Thank you that your plan is, is, is bigger than anything that the enemy could, could, could do, and, and it will overcome, it has overcome, and that in the end you win, and that we can be on the winning team. <clears throat> and uh, pray, Lord, that even as we look at these things next week, um, I mean, just like any team that, that wins even here on the earth, God, it's not like they just uh, hand them a trophy. Um, they go through hard work to get the trophy. And, and there, there is a process, God, and there will be suffering and pain to get to the end result, God, of your purpose for our lives of, of reflecting your glory and everything we do of um, becoming more like you in every way. And uh, just pray that you would help us in these things this week. And help us, Lord, this week to remember the not yet, God. To remember the not yet. To not be bouncing from extreme to extreme, extreme of idealism to extreme of... of uh, dissatisfaction, but to just walk the level playing field of like, you know, we're not, we, we're not going to expect that everything's going to be perfect um, in this world, in this life, but you will walk with us through it. So just pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.